and welcome to Teaching Notes, the podcast of the Music Teachers Association with me, Patrick Johns. I'm a musician, radio producer, music teacher and MTA member. I hope you're all keeping safe and well and are now fully in the swing of term time. Just think, in a couple of weeks' time it'll be half term. Doesn't time fly? And after that, who knows? The government drips out headlines about potential staggered return dates for certain year groups and schools immediately begin consulting on logistics. But the reality is that no one yet knows what's going to happen after half term. So I imagine most of us are planning to stick with the new normal for now. It's all we can do. I also imagine that most of us are now feverishly compiling our year 11s and 13s grades to submit, and in some cases it seems justify to our SLTs. Unconnected to that, of course, some of you may be thinking about applying for a new position in a new school in the new school year. It is that time of year, after all. Now, for some of you, that may be applying for your first head of department position. If that's you, make sure to catch next week's podcast and we'll have a whole feature on that. But back to this episode. I'm going to be looking back to the Music and Drama Expo held in March of this year and finding out about a fantastic new resource for teaching Indian classical music. MTA President Simon Toyne will update us about how one-to-one tuition is working in schools and the wider role of music departments during lockdown. But first up, notation software. For many years, there wasn't really much competition. One word, Sibelius. Of course, Finale has been around for ages as well, but Sibelius has really been the one to go to for a couple of decades now. However, in recent years, several new options have opened up. MuseScore and NoteFlight spring to mind, some with features that Sibelius itself doesn't offer and that are very appealing to schools. One newcomer, well, I, I suppose it's not really a newcomer anymore, is released three and a half years ago now, in October 2016, is Dorico. It is hugely popular, though I myself have never used it. I use Sibelius for my composing and arranging, and I've been using NoteFlight at school for students. So I decided to find out more and was very pleased to speak to Daniel Spreadbury, the Dorico Product Marketing Manager at Steinberg, a man who knows everything there is to know about this software. Daniel, thank you very much uh, for joining us for the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, lovely to be here. For those who don't know, just give us a quick overview of Dorico. Yeah, so Dorico is a music notation programme. Uh, so it's it's sort of in the same vein as Sibelius or Finale or MuseScore or NoteFlight. And there are three different versions of Dorico as well. There's a very basic free version that anybody can download and use at home completely free of charge, which is called Dorico SE, which is perfect for people who are just doing things for solo instruments or for students who are just getting started. There's Dorico Elements, which is a bit more fully featured. You can write for ensembles of up to 12 players there, so up to anything like double choir or some small bands or even a very small orchestra you could write for. And then there's Dorico Pro, which is the full fat experience that's got absolutely everything you could possibly want. And that's the one that tends to be used by by teachers, by people in music publishing, by people who are in um, the professional music world. Um, but it's also, of course, very widely used in schools now. Increasingly, it's actually Dorico Pro that schools are buying rather than earlier versions. And if I'm a, a Died in the Wool Sibelius user or NoteFlight user... Tell me why I should be switching to Dorico. What can Dorico do that those other ones can't? There are three really key differences between Dorico and other music notation software. The first one is that we've designed it very much to be um, a better environment for actually composing and experimenting with musical ideas than other scoring programmes. So to give you a sort of simple example, programmes like Sibelius and NoteFlight and Finale and so on, they're, they're really fantastic if you already know what you want to write down, if you've already sort of 
establish what your idea is or you're copying out an existing piece of music, they're really, really fantastic because they get you that nice looking page of music with very little effort. But Dorico is is trying to be much more like a word processor. So you can very easily insert notes anywhere in a phrase. You can scale notes down and up. You can move them left and right very freely. You can turn them into tuplets. You can detupletify them. So that's the first thing. The second thing is also that the music just looks better. We spent years, literally years, studying all of the published music from before the computer age. So we're really talking about music from sort of the 1980s and earlier and looking back at least 100 to 200 years, trying to find out what it was that made those pieces of music that were prepared by human hand on plate engraving or by autography or by any of those manual methods that gave them that clarity, that proportionality, that ease of reading. And so Dorico actually emulates the way, particularly the spacing, both horizontally and vertically, it emulates the spacing of music and so I think that's a, a key thing. Plus also, just from a practical point of view, everything moves out of the way of everything else, including even the staves move apart if they need to. So again, if you're a student wanting to do a project and you're not very au fait with how music should actually look, then Dorico does an awful lot of that work for you. And the third thing is that because we're part of Steinberg, uh, we're able to take advantage of the amazing um, audio technology that's part of Cubase. So Dorico actually has Cubase's complete audio engine built into it. And if you switch to play mode, you've actually got a full-on sequencer view there, including piano roll, including MIDI automation editing, including velocity editing. You can load any VST instrument you like. So I think taken together, and there's a whole load of features that I could talk about as well that Dorico does that that Sibelius and, and Finale and so on can't do. But I think that it's that overall design philosophy, the fact that it's it's trying to approach the world of music notation in a different way, to give you an environment for composing, an environment for producing beautiful published results, and an environment for producing a great oral result, um, all in one place, uh, in a way that really hasn't been done before. And just finally, obviously we're living in very strange times at the moment, um, and many... Um, companies have been making their products uh, available on a special deal or some kind of special package or plan for teachers and students to use whilst we're in lockdown and teaching remotely. What is Steinberg doing? Yeah, so we've just announced the Stay Home Elements collection. Uh, The idea behind that is that we want to give people um, a taste of all of our creative tools. So that is a collection of Cubase, as I say, which is our sequencer and digital audio workstation, WaveLab, which is our audio mastering and um, audio editing package, which is used for you know producing CDs and podcasts and all sorts of things. There's Dorico elements in there. Um, anybody who's interested in using those can get a 60-day, extended 60-day license for all of those products from our website. All you have to do is go to uh, steinberg.net slash stay home. Um, and you'll find there um, all of the a, a simple thing where you just literally put your email address in and you'll then get an email um, with a uh, what we call an activation code, which is like an unlock code that you type in. So if you're a teacher or an instrumental teacher, classroom teacher interested in using Dorico and would like a bit more sort of one on one help or small group help, then drop us an email and we'll try and set something up. Fantastic. Daniel, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Daniel Spreadbury from Steinberg for an insight into Dorico. Before the next feature, I'd just like to update you as best I can regarding the grading process for this year's GCSEs and A-levels. On Tuesday the 5th of May, Ofqual made a couple of announcements in the wake of the recent consultation, to which 12,500 people replied. 
You can read the whole thing online if you search for the snappy Ofqual publishes initial decisions on GCSE and A-level grading proposals for 2020. But the main headline is that students who are entered for exams in year 10 and below will be eligible to receive calculated grades this summer. There's also lots more detail about how private students' marks should be considered, so if that affects you, do go and have a read. Now, the twice-weekly MTA Zoom meetings have been continuing, and it's been great to gather some feedback from teachers about how new systems and setups are working in this new normal. MTA President Simon Toyne has kindly agreed to report on the recent meeting looking at one-to-one music lessons and problems and solutions associated with it, plus the wider role of music for students even during lockdown. Our discussion began by focusing on one-to-one vocal and instrumental tuition. It was great to hear from peripatetic teachers and from heads of department that where one-to-one tuition is still offered in schools, it's not only flourishing, but the interaction between teacher and student is more purposeful, with students spending more time being properly prepared for their lessons and also being on time, no need for teachers to search for them in classrooms, and with parents being able to interact with the teacher. Many spoke about the positive effect of the latter, with parents being able to see what goes on in a one-to-one lesson and to ask questions about how to support their child's musical development further. Teachers spoke of solutions they found to technical issues that have emerged, in particular those involving instrument maintenance. Knowing how to tune an instrument or how to replace strings has been a recurring theme over the last weeks, so many teachers have created videos showing students and parents how to do this and have posted these on the school's VLE. The connection with whole school systems, especially Google Classroom, has been productive. Many teachers spoke about setting up classrooms for their students and being able to populate those with resources for practice and preparation. And for many students, of course, their one-to-one lesson is one of only a few scheduled lessons that they have each week. So this is certainly increasing the status and importance of vocal and instrumental tuition. We then moved on to talk about the wider life of the music department, in particular ensembles and performing opportunities. Some schools have maintained the same rehearsal schedule as prior to lockdown and have worked creatively to fill that scheduled time with meaningful activity. All recognised, of course, the importance of the social dimension of keeping musical groups together, especially nurturing the connection between different year groups, and musical quizzes seem to be a very popular and productive route here. Other activities have been to listen to previous performances together. Many ensemble members have never heard what their group actually sounds like to an audience after all. Also analysing the pieces they've performed before and connecting this to theory lessons. And intriguingly, even setting up a virtual choir, but with everyone conducting. We spoke about the amount of effort involved in creating virtual choirs or bands and the limited teacher time available for this. However, it does seem a perfect project for students to organise themselves. An interesting musical development through lockdown has been the creation of a new kind of virtual ensemble in which composer, arranger, producer and individual musicians are equal partners. And this is bound to stay and develop further. It could prove a fascinating way of involving students in school music in ways that haven't been promoted by us as teachers before. Finally, we discussed concerts and how music can speak to whole school communities. Some schools have set up weekly concerts where students and staff are encouraged to send in video performances. 
We spoke about the clear musical benefits of being able to record performances in advance and for students to feel less pressurised or nervous as a result. Some spoke of teachers in other departments getting enthusiastically involved in concerts both as performers and as advocates and it was clear that where such concerts are taking place they're becoming talking points and crucial focal points for the whole school community with hundreds of views accruing over time. There are also important rites of passage performances being planned for year 6, 8, 11 and 13 whether live or recorded. And these are important not just for the students performing, bringing to close an important chapter of their life, but equally vital for students in other year groups to see the value that we place upon our students and also to give them something to look forward to next year. All in all then, this was such a fruitful discussion and it was so great for us all to be able to share ideas and for us to learn from each other. Thanks to Simon Toyn for that summary of a recent Zoom meeting. Very enlightening. And don't forget that if you are an MTA member, you can attend and contribute to these meetings live every Monday and Tuesday at 4.30pm. Or you can catch up with the recordings via the MTA staff room on Facebook. And speaking of contributing, please do feel free to drop me a line if you'd like to contribute to a future podcast. We are always happy to hear from music teachers the world over, MTA members or not. All you need to do is email me media at musicteachers.org. Now on to our last feature. It seems inconceivable that the Music and Drama Expo was only 10 or so weeks ago. It feels like another lifetime, doesn't it? I was there, microphone in hand, to meet as many exhibitors as I could to find out what they were trying to get us to sign up to, with the intention of then reporting it all to you via this podcast for those who weren't able to attend. Well, of course, COVID-19 and lockdown took hold of the world not long after, and more pressing matters demanded the attention of these podcasts. But it seems a shame for these noble exhibitors kindly offered words to sit on a shelf. Besides, their products are still available, and perhaps now is an ideal time to start considering any changes to next school year's schemes of work. So over the next, I don't know, five, six podcasts, I'll be bringing you the interviews I conducted at the Expo, starting right now. Anyone who found the MTA stall at F7 easy to remember for any musician, would have noticed that directly opposite was the ISM stall. They had up a large poster with the words Indian Takeaway on it. Well, being a brass player and sensing some curry, I was like a moth to a flame. It wasn't curry that I found, of course, and apologies for that very Alan Partridge-like link, but the head of Ealing Music Service, Yogesh Datani, launching his new online resource, Rag and Tal Basics, in association with the ISM. Hi, my name's Vinota. I'm the Creative Content and Publications Manager for ISM. Could you tell music teachers around the country why they should join the ISM? What can the ISM do for us as music teachers? So the ISM is the UK's professional body for musicians. We offer lots of benefits like uh, free legal services, we offer health benefits, we offer uh, lots of professional um, online courses, books, publications, and then obviously today we launch Raghantar Basics, which is teaching one piece of classical Indian music. So you can take that away and either teach it or learn and perform it yourself. And I have to say, it was that that caught my eye because I have had to teach uh, Indian classical music before and I'm going to level with you. I was completely at sea. I didn't know what I was doing and I would have loved a resource like this. Could you tell me just quickly about the background to this resource? 
So Yogesh Titania, the head of Ealing Music Service, he approached us with the idea last year. And the idea is that, um, as he said, Indian takeaway is one of the most popular dishes in the UK, but Indian classical music is not as well known. So we wanted to break that barrier and get at least one piece of Indian classical music out there to the general public and so teachers can actually teach that to their students. That all sounds wonderful and something I would have loved to have had when I was teaching that. I'm very pleased that Yogesh is here with us at the Expo. Yogesh, could you tell us the background to this resource, why you think we need it and what it is and what it can do for us? Well, a bit like Vinota explained that the Indian takeaway or Indian cuisine is the nation's favourite. And I strongly believe that Indian music should be more readily available to children and young people in schools across the country. When I was teaching uh, regularly, I found that some of my non-Asian pupils were at a psychological disadvantage because some of the compositions that I was speaking on tabla they, they were under the impression that perhaps it's Hindi or Gujarati, which is my language, but it's not. It's tabla language, tabla mnemonics. And therefore, a composition that goes like this, and when played on the tabla really appeals to young people because it's groovy, it's fun, it's cool, but they find it's inaccessible. So I've looked at Western teaching strategies and made an attempt to translate some of those strategies. So instead of da da tin tin na na tete tete, I love rabbits, I love caterpillars, spiders and gorilla, octopus, butterflies, tigers too, gorilla, octopus, butterflies, tigers too, katete kata da kata da kata da. And approached in that way, children learn very quickly and, and very soon they are speaking these compositions as fast as I am and uh, they are improvising and extending the composition to four times the original length and, and there's no music stand in sight which is another aspect of, of Indian music it's, it's an oral tradition uh, I think that Indian music is no different to any other musical genres it's appealing, it's accessible, but as long as it's delivered correctly. And that's what Indian Takeaway, Ragantal and Basics is about. It's readily accessible. In order to access uh, this course and to be able to use it, would I need to have a full set of uh, tabla and, and Indian instruments? No, you wouldn't. The unique thing about Indian Takeaway is that it's accessible on whatever instrument that you play or your children play and also if you're a singer you can access Indian Takeaway that way it uses body percussion and it basically teaches teachers how to teach this wonderful subject and if teachers want to find out more about Ragantal where should they go how can they find out about it uh, Vinoto? All they need to do is access the ISM Trust website. The resource is online, it's free for anyone, so anyone can access it. And um, if you've got any queries, just, just give us an email. But it's up there as 12 easy-to-follow lesson plans, so they should be able to, to just go on there and have a go themselves. And do you need to be a member of ISM to access this? And how much does it cost? How do we get it? So you don't have to be a member, it's free to access on the ISM Trust website, so um, all you need to do is just log on there and they're all there for you to download and to use straight away. Fantastic, thank you very much. Oh, 
thank you to Vinota and Yogesh. That sounds like an invaluable resource for anyone like me who's found themselves out of their comfort zone when teaching Indian classical music with or without a published GCSE textbook. There'll be more from the Expo in future episodes, including, I hope, some of the guest speakers' own summaries of their talks. And that concludes this episode of Teaching Notes, the Music Teachers Association's podcast. If you'd like to take part in a future podcast, as I said earlier, please do email me, Patrick Johns. The address is media at musicteachers.org. I would love to hear from you. The more, the merrier. Please do consider joining the MTA if you haven't already. It's just a touch over £60 a year and you get so, so much for that. The magazine ensemble loaded with interviews and resources, the MTA staff room on Facebook and the regular Zoom meetings, and of course, the annual conference, about which more in a future episode. Full information about joining the MTA is available at musicteachers.org. Thank you for listening to Teaching Notes with me, Patrick Johns. Please do spread the word about this podcast by sharing it on social media and telling friends and colleagues about it. And of course, do get in touch. Be sure to catch the next edition next week. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.